This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. People like that. <laughs> okay, great. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word that gives entrance, Lord. Thank you for these testimonies and this time that we can spend in your presence tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us. But Lord, we submit to your word and we ask Holy Spirit that you give us revelation and show us, Lord, what you want to show us through your word. Lord, it's not just a sermon. It's not just a couple of words. It's your eternal breath. It's your eternal revelation. It's your word that does not return void to you. And we want to thank you for this privilege that we have like a night tonight to just spend around your word. And Lord, many people in this world would die, Lord, for just having their own Bible. And what a privilege it is to, to read your word together. We honor you, Lord. We honor your spoken word also and your written word. Jesus, you are the word made flesh. And Holy Spirit, we need you to open up the eyes of our understanding to see and to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Um, I'm going to uh, sort of connect a little bit what we shared on this morning as well so be with us those of you were here anybody that was here this morning okay a couple of you we spoke on the simplicity of christ um and it's all coming out of the out of burundi uh because in burundi there's no electricity and um, when we got into this little room where we stayed there were a number of rooms uh, with like floors that were just mud but um we killed about six spiders and i don't know i call them the kamikaze spiders because in the middle of the night you'll just hear people like <laughs> you know or steve had a spider on his hand the one night and he just woke up the next morning and said oh just i just felt this thing crawling up onto my hand it was like a big spider you know so but then there was these massive ants you know all this stuff so we had all the bugs coming to visit us you know but praise the lord there were some guys they when they when you eat there you eat a lot of beans and bananas you say say bananas so lucky eh, will you but bananas okay bananas you know but um a lot of bananas so so with all the bugs in the house we also had some chemical warfare at night you know that was like trying to kill all the bugs because the tabo didn't work but hallelujah so um so part of what we have to deal with a lot and we've been speaking on deception the past couple of weeks is uh, the question is, are we uh, worshipping a cultural Jesus or are we worshipping the Jesus of the Bible? Uh, because sometimes we think that if we sing with a band, then that is worship. But that's not really worship. Worship is a surrender of your heart. It's got actually nothing to do with just songs that we sing. Uh, it's not a CD we put on. It's a lifestyle. Uh, it, that's what worship is. And, and yet sometimes we, we fall into these comfort zones or these ways of thinking and then we become cultural or religious Christians. And sometimes just, you know, we have a band with it, so we jump up and down. Uh, but there's a part of God that, that we sort of all have to deal with. And the fact um, it's part of his love, and I'm going to start speaking a bit on that. Because Jeremiah says that God has got an everlasting love. He's, he's drawn me with his everlasting love. God uh, love is not a romantic love it's not a, 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 a just essential love it's not a it's not a just it's not a love based on feeling it's much more it's it starts with sacri sacrificial love 
Uh, and you cannot really say you love somebody if there's no sacrifice involved for that love. And that's why in the essence of the description of love, it's not a feeling, but it's a choice God has made to send his son to die for us. So there's a sacrificial part of that love that the world doesn't know because mostly the world will give us lust or give us greed or because it's based on what you feel or the, in essence what you need. But God's love is really different. And so, so God has got a side to him that, that talks about his jealous love. And, and I want to start here in Exodus 34. It says, but you shall destroy their altars. This is God saying to the nation of Israel. And in that process of, of saying this to Israel, he wants to reveal a part of himself. And he says, but you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God. The Ten Commandments starts with this. There shall only be one God in your life. Um, you know, there can be lots of different gods, but there's only one true God. And he says, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. And um, I think most of us, when we think in terms of jealousy, we think of, of it in a negative term. But when God is a jealous God and a part of his love, then it's uh, very different than what the world would describe. It's a part of uh, protective, a part of, of wanting to give himself to us. But it's a, it's, a, it's a side of his love that we don't really know. Because uh, we think in terms of, oh, he was jealous. Then we think like, oh, he was trying to get to me or he was trying to compete with me or he was trying. But God's jealous, is, jealous love is very different. And, and it's, it's protective, but God is also, in a sense, jealous over you and over me and over the church. And, 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 and he has got a certain uh, right to our lives because of what Christ has done. And so that everlasting love um, comes from a place of God not being selfish. God is not a selfish being. He's, he doesn't need us. And that's why we can trust him, and that's why we can worship him, and that's why God can lay certain claims to your life, because nothing you can give him can add to him. All the other gods want you to give something to them that can add to them. It's only God that is, like, perfect, okay? So, so part of this whole concept from the Old Testament is, is God showing himself to the people, Israel, and, um, and then actually going in and say, look, you destroy all these idols, which in the Old Testament was mostly wooden stuff or poles or worship places. And we see a lot of encounters that, for instance, um, somebody like Jeremiah or somebody um, like Elijah would have this bold prophets on the mountain and calling down the fire. And then, you know, you, there would be a sh bit of a showdown to destroy the idols of these nations and that is sort of a picture of idols in our hearts many times so what is idolatry the definition of idolatry according to webster is the worship of idols or excessive devotion to something or to someone or reverence for some person or thing an idol is anything that replaces the one true god the most prevalent form of idolatry in the bible times was the worship of images that were thought to embody the various pagan deities so we see these pictures and when you go to india today you'll see a lot of worship temples and they walk around or china been in china and then the people they are tree worshippers so they walk for hours around the tree mm, 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 you know and 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 I don't, I don't know what they really believe but but you see a lot of things manifest on the outside and you see those idols you say yeah, yeah those are idols but the modern day idols especially in the west is much more powerful and it's called the idols of our hearts. 
So what are some of those idols? Some of those idols are comfort, the choices we can make, the culture, complacency, compromise. And then a big one, conformity. And that's a modern day sort of thing that's been put on us as Christians is, hey, you, you just, just conform. But the Bible says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. We are called to be transformed. Can I get an amen? But the world wants you to conform. And there's a beautiful book, John Stott wrote it, The Radical Disciple, because radical is actually a root word for, for like a, it's actually a root of a specific plant. It's called radical. The main root um, is the radical one, the one that found, finds you. And, and John Stott talks about these big names, and you can go and research it. We don't have time tonight. But he says the, the four things that we are challenged with in conformity is pluralism. It means like, hey, everybody can just be happy. You know, I, I must just have respect for you, and I must have respect for you, and I'm, just be tolerant about everything around you. So you hear those words a lot here, you know? Just, just be tolerant, just, just have respect for everything, but there's not really any absolutes, you know? The second big thing in our culture is materialism. Is um, that thing that sort of like, grabs hold of you because you think that your significance or your identity is found in what you own or what you drive or where you go on holiday. And, um, and I just want to s just shock you maybe a little bit, but, but if you can decide what three meals you are going to eat every day, then you are the privileged of the privileged in the world. You are in the top 10% of the world. So most people think like, well, I am definitely not rich because do you know what? I don't live in that place and I don't own a house and I don't, you know, so, so I'm not rich. But I can tell you that 99% of people sitting here tonight is super rich. And one of your biggest challenges will be materialism. Is, is the, the things that you want to get on the outside that will give identity on the inside. Then another big thing, it's getting very quiet, but it's going to get much more quiet tonight, I know. Ethical relativism, it means like there's no more morality. How can you tell me that I cannot sleep with my girlfriend? Because I'm not hurting anybody. Or how can you tell me I shouldn't watch pornography? Because hey, I'm not hurting anybody. Meantime, you're hurting yourself and you're destroying your marriage one day. Hello? Narcissism, that's a big one, is an obsession with self. The whole entitlement. Stefan said it so beautifully tonight. I want to be entitled to something. So, so today we are faced with a lot of idols, and that idol starts in your heart. That idol starts and that deception starts in our hearts when we think like, yeah, yeah, I'm good enough. I'm just going to continue as normal in my life because you know what? I'm just adding God to my life. And, and we're all guilty of that. You know, sometimes we just pray, oh, Lord, please be with me today. <laughs> now, that's not a very scriptural prayer. God is with you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> he says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. <laughs> but, but. All of us, when, when we understand that there's a, there's a part of God that is coming to you and he, and he wants you to break those idols in your life and he wants you to say, uh-uh, Lord, I, I want to have a clean heart. I want to have a heart that is wholly surrendered to you. It's, it's not because God is sin conscious, but he wants you to walk in complete freedom. 
Because the only way that you can walk in that freedom is when you know who you really is. It's when you look into the mirror of who God is and he begins to change and he begins to transform you and he begins to show you that freedom doesn't lie on the outside. It lies all about what's going on in the heart. And, and God, God has set us up in a place to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to take you a bit out of your comfort zone. And it was so, so amazing go, being there in um, Burundi because the culture is quite different than ours. And so at, at the end, you know, especially they've got an honoring culture. So when we greeted, it, the greetings will take two hours, you know. Or we, we were supposed to leave at 11 o'clock for the, for the um, flight it was that started at 6. But so 12.30, we were still greeting an hour and a half later. So everybody goes up and stands on the stage and just say thank you and this is what you meant to us. And, and so three quarters through the thank yous of these pastors coming up because they all came over the mountains just to come and greet us. Because it's very important that you greet people properly and you welcome people properly. We just like go like, well, okay, bye, see you tomorrow, you know. Well, they would like formally do it. It's so beautiful. It's so, it's so publicly correct, you know, to honor people. And so three quarters through this conversation, the one pastor gets up after people have said all these nice things about us, and he says, I'm offended. And everybody goes like, and he says, I'm offended because you didn't come and visit me. And you promised that you were going to come and visit me, and we were waiting for an hour or so with you. Now, that's normally where everybody thinks like, and especially in our culture, we think like, oh, no. shouldn't he have settled it personally with, you know, somebody, or just like, you know, now he spoils the whole thing, you know. And so he just stands there and he just, but no emotion or no like, I'm offended. He just says, I'm offended because you said something and you didn't do that. Now the, the main pastor, Pastor Everest, he comes up and he says, sorry, sorry, you know, it was actually my, my mistake. I didn't communicate correctly, but we'll, we'll correct it. So, so will you please forgive me? And then the pastor says, yeah, yeah, you're forgiven. Let's settle everything. Let's just continue. But we're not going to let anything come between our relationships. Because we've really realized what is important. And I realized like most of us would have probably walked away being offended because he's offended. Being offended because how can you now publicly say, you know, imagine I walk up here and I just say like, Chris, do you know what? You should get a better shirt. Pink doesn't fit you. It doesn't suit you. Yeah? Then most people look like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not, you know, but... But, but we are so, we're so sensitive to stuff that we shouldn't be sensitive of. Why? Because we form our identity on stuff on the outside. And coming from a culture where relationship is the most important thing, hey, then we forgive each other right on the spot and we sort each other out. We see it in the Bible when Peter and Paul, they had a couple of like times, you know, and then Paul just comes in and says, Peter, you are a hypocrite. Now that we, uh, you don't want to eat with the Gentiles, but with the Jews, and then he sorts him out right there, you know. Sure. But most of us will, will sort of think like, phew. And, and, and that church thing, oh, you know, let's jump on. So, so there's, there's, a, there's a part of God that he wants to reveal to us. And Paul writes about this when he writes to the church in Corinth. Because in Corinth, he's talking about them. And he says, look here, I'm going to be very honest with you guys because I'm afraid of something. I've looked at the way that you live, and because of the fleshly way of doing stuff, I'm, I'm afraid of something that's going to happen in your life. And he somehow writes it straight. But listen to the heart by which he writes it. And he comes here in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, for I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. 
So there's a godly jealousy that God wants to release in your life that is protective and looking out for your friends. Or if you're a leader that, I, I want to I protect you. I want to help you to get into what God has called you to do. And that's a beautiful jealousy. And this is what Paul writes about. He says, for I've betrothed you to one husband that I might present to you a chaste virgin to Christ. He says, I've, 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 my, my goal in life was to present you to the bridegroom, to Jesus himself. And I've, 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 my whole sort of focus and desire was that when, when you stand before him, you will be like this virgin in purity and in, in an open heart to be before him. But you know, I've, I've got a jealousy for you. And if, if the church, if that could just be part of our love for one another, not just like, oh, I love you, I love you because I feel so good. But, but when I come into your life and I begin to tell you, hey, Sebas, there's something that I don't like that I see because you know what? My goal is not to offend you, but to actually help you to be pure before God because that's the best place that you can be in. And this is what Paul writes about. He says, my whole goal was to, not just to make you Christ-like and be Christ-like, but it's to present you to Jesus. And he says, but I fear. This is not the fear. He says, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Do you know how easy it is to corrupt your minds? The world will corrupt your mind. The world will make you think differently. The world will come in and with this corruption is a distortion of the truth and of the life God wants to give. And he says, but you know what? Just like, like Satan deceived Eve, so your minds may be corrupted and will take you away from the simplicity of Christ. And then he goes on to mention three things. He says, for you comes preachers. Maybe somebody's going to come and he preaches another Jesus or there's a different spirit or a different gospel. And he says, then you're going to put up with it. And so all of us have to come to this place where we realize that part of your life is to present yourself to God. But more than that also is that we as the church would encourage each other that, hey, I want to help you to protect that purity. To be like a virgin before God. To be clean. Now, one of the hobbies my wife and I do is we go to weddings. Yesterday we did our 312th wedding. Yandre and Emma got married, okay? What a feast it was, eh? It was so amazing. Some of you were there. It was just so great, you know? And so some people think like, ah, oh, you know, you're just conservative. But standing there, when I pronounced him man and wife, it was the first time he kissed her. And I thought like, wow, Lord, what a testimony. Oh, you're just conservative. I'm not telling you you're not allowed to kiss, but you know, why would you start your relationship and build your relationship on a fleshly thing when there's so much more God wants you to first get to know that girl? Because now all you think of when we get together is, ooh, I'm going to smoochie oochie, ooh, look, look, you know? Because I've got an urge to merge. I don't know what you say, but in any case, we're vibing, okay, but... But it's crazy, eh? Now, some of you are going to use that. I know, you know. Don't come to your wife and say, oh, the pastor said, do you have an urge to merge? No, 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 no. No, I'm just saying like. <laughs> but, 
But you know how easily we get corrupted because the world does stuff? And I, I want to tell you, those of you who are in a relationship, standing up for purity, great. Don't ask how far you can stay away or how far you can go. Say, how far can I present you to Jesus? Because that lady is a daughter of God. And if you mess with her, Chuna. Steve, you mess with him. Now, there's a guy sitting here somewhere in front. I heard him laugh now, now. But he's just sort of like, you know, what you know, slip foot, like, he's just like vibed with this girl. I don't know if it's official yet, but, but yesterday at this wedding, he was like singing in front. So I went to sit next to his girl and put my arms around her. I just sat there. It was so amazing to see his reaction. So he was like looking and he was singing and then he looked. I almost got a keyboard coming my way. It's, it's maybe not the guy on the keyboard yet tonight that can play keyboard, but maybe it is. I don't know, but, but you just figure that out yourself. But, but, but it, was so, it was so amazing, you know? And um, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen ladies walk on high heels. Have you seen that? I think it's the eighth wonder of the world. I, I don't know how they can keep, they really believe in healing as well, because I don't know, somebody must pray for their feet after a day like walking on the hill. So here going up into Burundi, we saw these ladies walk on heels up into the mountains, yeah? But it's, but it's so amazing if you respect relationship and you realize like, hey, I'm here to help you to be pure before God. And we start with the word, but, but there's, there's a challenge to be corrupted by this world. Listen to this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You can read the whole scripture. It talks about the first church, but I want to just focus on verse 46, and I spoke about it this morning. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Simplicity of heart. Gladness and simplicity of heart. That same part is, is when we're talking about purity now, and I spoke about it in length this morning, so I'm not going to focus too much on that, but God wants us to walk in that fullness. It's like when Emma walked down the aisle yesterday, it was just like, Yandra's right leg started like, you know, and then when he got the right leg in, under control, then the left leg went, okay, and then he like, but, but it felt like eternity when that lady walked down that aisle. But to present yourself to the bridegroom means like, hey, there's a, there's a whiteness, there's a cleanness, there's a clearness. And listen to what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. He says, we have a testimony in this world. We have a testimony in the, of our conscience, and your conscience is that, like that traffic cop, that thing that makes you like, I don't know if, if you, okay, let's, let's expose the sins here tonight, okay, but how many of you have like a traffic fine that you haven't paid yet? Okay, no, 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 no don't put, raise your hands, so somebody raised two hands there at the back, you know, but my father has got an a art to, um, to avoid the traffic cop. So one day the traffic cop 
stopped him because he didn't he didn't stop at the stop street and so the traffic cop asked him like so why didn't you stop at the stop street and his answer was well because i didn't see you <laughs> but that's not the way to say you know you must just like apologize so but you have got an inbuilt traffic cop that says stop at the stop street and that's called your conscience and so what begins to happen is not just in our minds are we corrupted, but our conscience gets corrupted before God. A guilty conscience, a very active conscience. And this is what Paul writes. He says, I've got a testimony because I've been, we've been living in the world in a specific way through simplicity and godly sincerity. And simplicity means a singleness, a focus. But it also happens, and this is the fruit that you can see, is whether you are generous, whether you can give bountifully. That, that shows you that you are living in simplicity but if you gather stuff and it starts physically you always gather stuff because you can never have enough but then emotionally sometimes we gather a, a lot it's called a hoarder somebody that just gathers and just cannot you know cannot get rid of stuff because i'll never have enough and so the first church lived it with the simplicity of heart because they had a clean conscience you know, if you go to Burundi, and I have to say this video, you will like this. If you drink alcohol in Burundi, you are not considered a Christian. So we had this funny moment there at the, we had a funeral, and the funeral is the whole day. And so at the end, we were sitting there, and everyone had a bottle of Coke, and so suddenly the whole team just started to like, Cheers, cheers. And I just said, no. <laughs> and everybody's talking like this, yeah? Because you don't cheers. Because that's what you do when you're an unsaved person. And it, it was so funny today. I actually saw on Facebook, not that I'm a lot on Facebook, but I, I saw this pastor sitting with this big beer in his hand, just celebrating. And there's even churches, you know, in pubs. Now, I don't, I don't know, but my conscience says to me, if I see how many people are being destroyed week by week and how many ladies are raped on this campus because of alcohol, then my traffic cop says, I'm going to set an example. Maybe it's different for you. I don't know what your traffic cop says, but mine says, I see the destruction. And I want to live in the world with such a simplicity that the world will come and say, I want what you have. But if the church doesn't look different than the world, how can we affect the world and change the world? Oh, but pastor, you're just judging again. I don't like these words, you know, because, you know, I don't harm anybody. And I'm not saying, hey, if you're with your family, I don't drink, but if you... Drink at home or have a beer with your father. That's great. No problem. I don't really have a problem with that. But when we're publicly living out of the end, this is what he's saying. I want to have a testimony. And I want to have a clear conscience because I've been living out of a purity and a cleanness. Because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And that's the question. People, if we as the church look just like the world, we will never change the world. We had such a beautiful moment reaching out there in Burundi and then we were walking past this generators that were making so much noise and the next moment this lady comes, she walks straight up to us and she says, are you not going to share the good news with us? And we're just like on a mission back home and so we stop, 
started to sing share and a lot of them gave their lives to the Lord. The guy actually switched off these old generator just so that everybody can hear. And I thought like they saw something. They saw something. When last did somebody come to you and say, hey, I want what you have? A singleness. But it, it, it overflows in a generous lifestyle. So it reflects a lot on the way that you give. Are your life open, you know? There's a couple here, Vernon and his wife, you know, I, I just, and him, them, love them. Because they sometimes just open up their homes on a Friday night and say, hey, come, eat. And then they minister to people. That's generosity. Because I'm not just living here for myself and wanting to protect myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow people to come into my space. And even if it's awkward sometimes, I'm going to allow it to be raw and real. Because we're not talking about perfection here. Sure. Listen to this in Colossians. Are you still with me? We're picking up some speed. Just go like this. Okay. Now everybody goes like this. Okay, you've just fastened your seatbelt. So here we go. Okay, so Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4. This is sort of a, a challenge. Now, people's scripture is all over this. Don't just read the nice little bread scriptures, okay? I was thinking the other day and I said to the Lord, Lord, sometimes, you know, there's so many hard things you want me sometimes to share. And then the Lord says, keep on going. <laughs> I was thinking like, okay. Because the truth will set us free. There's, there's so many gospels that are being preached that is not, it's a, it's a quick fix. It's an instant gospel. And we have church many times, you know, we're so lucky to have church just for three, four hours. But in the West, oh, I'm never going to go back to that church because oh, an hour and 25 minutes, does he not know that there's soccer? We all stand together. We all live forever. You'll never walk alone. But Liverpool is going to be there for the next hundred years. And Liverpool cannot save you. Amen. So, living in this singleness and simplicity means that you and I need to declutter our lives. We need to get rid of the stuff we gather. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. And that's why the first church, if you read that scripture in Acts it says they went from house to house, they broke bread, they came together with, under the prayers and apostles' doctrine, and then they sold all of their things. I wonder if I would go around and starting here in the front and say, are you willing to sell all of your things? Then most of us would have a problem, me included, because I like my comfort. And God is definitely not going to ask me to sell all of my things. That was the first church. But if you're really honest, we are very material in our way of living. Come on. Can, can I get an amen? And that's what's so lucky to go for a week there into the bush and we had to take four hours to make our food on a fire. <laughs> no electricity, just smoke, bad wood, pasta, cheese sauce, and pasta and cheese sauce and some pultong, and pasta and cheese sauce and some meatballs and pasta and cheese sauce and some and then you just realize when you come home and you stand in front of that fridge and you open up the fridge i must say i worshiped at the fridge on friday night i just stood there 
And I looked inside and I thought like, wow. It felt like an air conditioner. Wow. And I just stood there. And I realized, a fridge. 80% of the world doesn't have their own ice gas. Their ice gas. Okay? Freezer. But so you listen to this and so... What, what happens when we lose that simplicity and that, that place of, of understanding God's heart is we lose our hunger. We lose the ability to stop growing. We, we, we start to fill our lives with so many stuff around Christ. And listen to this Colossians. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. He says, seek, but set your mind. Let your mind not be corrupted. Let it not be taken over by the things of this world, but set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. And that is the challenge, is that we, are, that we are being tempted and deceived into setting our minds on things on the earth, because hey, I must have it now, and I must have it really now. He says, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Don't you know him and say, you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, then he goes on and he says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, whoo, here comes it now, put to death your members which are on the earth. He says, put to death that earthly things. Say, seek those things which are above. Seek them and set your mind on them. What do you think about every day? What do I think about? Are we consumed with ourselves, or are we saying, Lord, I want to set my things, my mind on the things of God. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, greed. I want more. And I want to I just study to... Get a degree so that I can make lots of money and tell the world how great I am. Or I want to study so that God can give me a platform to minister his love, to minister his greatness to the world. Because it's not about the job. And this brings us, and it says, because these things, and there comes this word, which is idolatry. It's an idol. Just like those people in India. Just like those poles. Just like those blood sacrifices and blood temples. It's exactly the same. But this one is more tense. Because it grips and corrupts your heart and your mind. Therefore scripture tells us over. Think the things that are godly. Think about the things that are praiseworthy. Think about those things. And So what do you think when you think about God? Or is it just like, oh, oh, sure, I should actually read my Bible maybe once a day, just like five minutes, just to feel better about myself. Or have you allowed him to consume you? Because he's a jealous God. Oh, not too many amens, but hallelujah. Two more slides, let's run. Okay, so, so what is it about? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, again in the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat, whether you drink, it was in a context of idolatry and the context of food that was sacrificed to idols and all that stuff. He says, hey, 
It's not so much about what comes into your mouth. It's what goes out of your mouth. He says, if we live, if we have a pursuit of his glory, then something will begin to change. And listen to what John Piper says about the glory of God. He says, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. He goes on and he says, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his holiness. God wants to go public about his holiness. And holiness means he's separate, he's different. He's not like the world. It is the way he puts his holiness on display for people to apprehend, to say, wow. And the world has lost its wow for God because the church has lost its wow for God. So the glory of God is the holiness of God made manifest. I love that. The glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness. The glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness. So we see the angels in, in Isaiah 6, they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his holiness. Uh-uh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The weight of his presence that he wants to release in your life and in my life. But he cannot do that if there's not a consecrated being. He's not a holy being because then his holiness will destroy us. And that's why God has to wait, hold back on the church because we live, live and look just like the world. In 1 Peter 5, Peter writes about this. He says, there's a crown of glory for each one of us because we're setting our minds on things that are above, not things on the earth. And you and I have a choice. Do you want to glorify God? Then start living a holy life. Start living and understanding that there's a jealous God that looks out for your life. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me, but he's so in love with you. Like Paul says, I've betrothed you. I've, I've brought you like a, a virgin in marriage to that husband that is pure, that is holy. God is doing something beautiful in our midst. He's preparing our hearts to be holy. Not perfect. Because most of us think in terms of holiness, I must be perfect. That's not what God says. But holiness is a surrender because you want to manifest His glory. We want to show the world out there that He's a glorious God. And so you cannot have glory without holiness. And you cannot have holiness without love. Understanding God's heart and a certain part of his love is a jealous God. And that means it, it needs to, we need to talk about what do you spend your time with? Because one of the things the Lord said to me in Stellenbosch is, yeah, yeah, God is just another option. You know what I'll do? I'll, I'll, I'll plan my golf trip in September. And I'll spend more time in planning my golf trip in September than what I'll do planning the things of God. Yeah, but that's a bit tough. I plan my exercise. I'm disciplined to go to the gym every day. But I'm not disciplined to go to sit at the feet of God. Then you won't see his glory. Sorry. Now, yeah, I'm really in love with this girlfriend, you know. We spend so much time together. But take the time you spend with that girlfriend and then you're related to how much time you spend with God. 
then you realize like who's in who's your God? <gasps> Is that tough? I know some of you are offended now, but I have to speak the truth. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the riches of this world. Don't be deceived by anything on the outside because that person cannot fulfill you. That girlfriend or that boyfriend can't make it. Sorry. No, but I'm going to get fulfilled when I get married. Sorry. Marriage will also stop one day. There's only one marriage that will last. It's the marriage of the Lamb. And are you betrothing yourself to God? Oh, what a glorious day it's going to be. And so, one last question. Maybe make it two. What do you need to declutter from? What do you need to actually let go of in your life? Oops, oops. Because the whole world is right in front of you. But into what mirror are you looking? What mirror are you staring every day? And what is defining you? Because the world has come right in front of us and the eyes are the windows of the soul. Some of us must stop watching those YouTube clips day in and day out. Movies, one, because that stuff will define you. It will either corrupt your soul. Woo! Lock the doors. People want to run. Okay. <laughs> sure. I wanted to read two more scriptures, but let's, let's, let's just hang there for a moment. So what are the things that are corrupting or keeping you from living a simple life before Christ? Sometimes it's just busyness. And I'm not saying going to the mountain and become a monk. We are busy, but what can you do? I, I love this. Pastor Everest, he was driving in the taxi. Now, when they drive here, we haven't seen anything around here with taxis, you know? We were at a stage, how many people were we in that one taxi? I think 28. Huh, Valia? 28 or 30 people in one taxi. When I walked out of the taxi, I realized, I thought it was Jürgen standing next to me, but then I realized he sweated so much on me that I smelled like Jürgen's, you know? Because I was looking around and I thought like, I can smell your sweat, Jürgen's, and then I realized it's not Jürgen standing here, it's his sweat on me because we sat so close. Jürgen's obviously enjoyed it a lot, but I didn't enjoy it so much, but... You know, so, so they're up close and personal, but uh, part of our challenge is, you know, when this pastor was coming out of the taxi, when he drove up, he says, there was so much noise around me, but inside me, I had a quiet time. Something that's lost to the church is called Solitude. It's the ability to be present with God, to be present with each other. That when you're there with God, there's no interruptions. It's just you and God. When you're present with somebody, you give them all the attention. We've lost that because we're all over the show, checking our phones, checking who's walking by, checking all that stuff. But we have to learn that. When I talk to Herbie, it's me and Herbie. It's us. Okay? It's something that's lost, and we, it's a skill the church needs to learn again. Because it was part of the basic disciplines. Jesus withdrew often. And he was present with God. Because if you're not present with God, then the Holy Spirit cannot speak to you and say, hey, stop what you're doing. Minister to that person or minister to that because you're too occupied. And then our minds have become corrupted. Our hearts have become corrupted. Our lives have become corrupted.
And that's why it says the simplicity of Christ, the purity, the sincerity of which I can worship with. And the devil has gone for some of us to steal your purity, to steal your sincerity, to steal that simplicity by making you so distracted. And the Lord needs to heal you. And it starts with holiness. It starts with, Lord, I want to live a holy life. I haven't got any clue how to do that, but help me. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit that will help you to be separate unto God. But then we also need that skill with each other. That's what I so loved at Burundi. Is when we stopped and we celebrated each other, they didn't care if we we're going to be late for the plane. We started at 11, around about 4 p.m. Now we're leaving. The plane is leaving at 10 to 6. 4 p.m. The pastor still hasn't arrived. We haven't even eaten lunch. At 4.30, we leave for the airport. By that time, everything in me is beginning to manifest that shouldn't manifest. Because this is an international flight three hours before the time. All the accounting skills that I've gathered, I had just thrown out of the door. And I begin to tell the team, run! <laughs> you know? So here we get in the bus. We stop at the, at the, you know, at the um, airport. And now Pastor Everest, bless his heart, he always says like, God willing, God willing it will happen. We'll be there on time. Now he first wants to take a team photo. And he doesn't like the first photo, he wants to take another one just to celebrate what God has done. But now it's already quarter past five and the plane is leaving at 10 to 6. Praise God, we made it. But you know, time, sometimes we too rush. Now we rush with God as well, in and out of his presence. Lord, do it quickly because do you know what? I'm on a schedule here. But you know, time doesn't belong to you. It's God's time. And you cannot add one day to your life. That's why Moses wrote, Lord, teach me to number my days. Because the days are evil. Teach me to redeem the time. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.